0: Thank you for downloading this Real Agriculture podcast. Excite your crops with inputs from Excite Bio. Access nitrogen and phosphorus with Excite Bio's lineup of inoculants and ag biologicals. Since 2010, they've been helping farmers harness the power of the soil. Learn more at excitebio.ca. That's x-i-t-e-b-i-o.ca.
1: I'm Sean Haney and this is Real Ag on the Weekend. Let's get real and get connected with the week that was in Canadian agriculture. Real Ag on the Weekend starts now.
0: Hello and welcome to Real Ag on the Weekend here on 650 CKOM and 980 CJME. I am your host for this weekend show, Lindsay Smith. Sean Haney will be back next week, uh, but he's on the road. And, uh, well, he was on the road a lot this week, actually. If you were listening at realagriculture.com, you would have heard uh, his coverage of the Canadian Federation of Agriculture's AGM that happened in Ottawa this week. And then he and our own burn Tobin headed down to Houston, Texas, to cover the Commodity Classic. So lots happening there. Some of what you'll hear today is coming from that Commodity Classic show down in the US. So that is where we are going to start. Uh, On today's show, you are going to hear, first we'll hear from Curtis Blades. He's with the Agriculture Equipment Manufacturers. He's in conversation with Bern Tobin uh, to talk about the current trends in the tractor and combine sales. Uh, That's an important one. Usually it's sort of a proxy of how farmers are doing and feeling financially. So that's an interesting conversation we'll hear. Then we're going to skip to some market reports. We're going to hear from Tyler Schau. He's with AgMarket.net. He's going to talk about the canola and oil sea complex as well. Later, you'll hear from Lauren Boundy on the oat market. That's a conversation with Kelvin Hepner. And then we'll also hear our latest Paul School episode, looking at some of the research into aphanomyces of pea and lentil. Of course, a huge disease concern for much of the pea and lentil growing region. All right, without further ado, let's hop to our first conversation. This is Burn Tobin and Curtis talking about the tractor and combine markets.
2: Werner Tobin here at the Commodity Classic in Houston, Texas. Catching up now with Kurt Lane, Senior Vice President the Association of
3: Equipment Manufacturers, AEM. Kurt, how's it going? Oh, it's going great. It's so fun to be at Commodity Classic where we've got some of the latest and greatest technology on display for farmers to see. Oftentimes, for the first time, making a big difference, and the enthusiasm is high. Yeah.
2: Hey, let's talk about sales and trends. I yeah. mean, it's always where we want to talk about who's buying equipment, how much is moving. Where are we on the tractor sales? side of things year over year, maybe a little
3: softer? Yeah, I mean, tractor sales and combine sales been a little bit soft uh, this this past year. We ended we ended uh, for row crop tra- tractors, we ended basically flat. Uh, combines and articulated four wheel drive tractors ended 2003 up up a little bit, and uh, and small tractors ended up a little bit soft. That happened in both U.S. and Canada. Kind of had that same trend. Uh, as we look into 2024, uh, you know, we're seeing kind of more of the same. There's some softness. We started off a little bit a little bit soft in January. Probably because of commodity prices, maybe because of of interest rates, Uh, but overall the fundamentals behind agriculture continue to be strong. So we're in a place like like we are here at Commodity Classic, where it's fun to see this technology, you know that these tractor sales will probably continue to be strong for the foreseeable future.
2: Um, What do you like about what
3: you're seeing from a new release perspective? There's combines, there's tractors, there's lots of things going on. There are seven combines on the floor here at Commodity Classic. That's the most I've ever seen here and some of those are new. A couple of them are being seen in the public for the first time. That's pretty exciting. That's new technology that, uh, you know, obviously a farmer doesn't buy a combine for next year's harvest, they buy a combine for the next five, ten years harvest. And they're doing that, they're making that, that uh, sizable investment because it makes good sense economically for their business. So to see this new technology that's making a fundamental difference in farmer's productivity and see it on display and then see the farmers kick the tires on it, it's pretty exciting gives me a lot of hope for the future. also gives me a lot of hope for the optimism that the farmer has when they're making those purchase decisions.
2: You yeah. talked about optimism, and you know we, we can't just sort of ignore where commodity prices are yes. these days. Um,
3: what do you expect to hear from farmers at this show you know, uh, here in Texas? Well, I think what I've heard from a lot of farmers so far is uh, cautious optimism. I mean, we all know where commodity prices are right now. We know what the market has sort of been right now. We've got global issues. We don't have a, we don't have some, uh, a farm bill just yet. We've got, uh, you know, some some questions around renewable fuels. All of these things are real, and they're weighing on the psyche of farmers. But at a show like this, where you see technology, you see farmers getting together, where they're talking about policy uh, decisions and policy priorities, the optimism continues to be high despite some of the challenges that the industry is facing right now.
2: Hey, let's talk about supply chains. It's something we've been talking about a number of years. Yeah. Going back to the pandemic, you know, are manufacturers doing better now? Are we seeing more tractors on farms faster?
3: We're, we're really starting to see some of those supply chain challenges we were dealing with during the uh, pandemic really kind of working themselves out finally. I mean, uh, it takes 100 percent of the parts to ship a combine or ship a, ship a tractor and uh, and we just were, we were dealt that blow what we're also finding is that uh, you know I think the manufacturers look at their their su- their sourcing of supplying and recognizing that we had a, a brilliantly efficient just-in-time delivery system and we're realizing that maybe we maybe we need to find some some uh, uh, additional resiliency built into that that supply chain so we don't have those disruptions in the past and so that we're really looking forward to Seeing that when you start to see farmer lots right now, our dealer lots right now, you're seeing a little bit more equipment starting to show up, and we're seeing some of those lead times that we were experiencing in the last couple of years really begin to uh, to reduce uh, to satisfy that uh, demand in a, in a timely manner.
2: Final question for you, Kurt, and that is uh, about I guess alternative power solutions. You know, I was in Germany this year at agritechnica and you know. We were looking at a lot of electric tractors and mm-hmm. there didn't seem to be the same buzz about, you know, that segment. Um, where are manufacturers now on
3: Alternative power and specifically electric tractors. Well, if you if you ask any one of the manufacturers, whether it's an ag construction, forestry, mining, utility, within agriculture, they're all trying to solve that same zero emissions challenge that we've been given. We all want to make the world a better place. Having said that, some of the technology works very well in uh, in off road capacities, and some of it is just does is not necessarily set up. So, electrical uh, tractors is as a perfect example. In certain situations, that might be a perfect application. For that for that battery technology in row crops, maybe not so much, so that 's where we 're beginning to see a lot of energy around you know either hybrid technology or you know uh, a lot of a lot of buzz around hydrogen, a lot of buzz around methane, different types of technology that are all trying to find ways for farmers to meet their climate goals, have society meet its climate goals, and still get the work that needs to be done that we 've been doing with diesel for years and years
2: Well, Kurt hey, uh, great stuff, appreciate you making some time for. Or real agriculture or commodity classic you
3: bet thank you for
0: having me on Alright, thank you to Burn Tobin and Curtis Blades for that uh, report from Commodity Classic. One thing I wanted to talk about for sure is the, so if you head over to realagriculture.com, I'm not sure if you spend any time there, but highly recommend you do, every week, or we try every week anyway, to put up a new poll. And we like to get a sense of where people are at on different topics. And one of the things we're talking about this week sort of ties in to this conversation. Also ties into, of course, the massive tractors being rolled out at some of these shows. If you hadn't heard uh John Deere has rolled out an eight 800 plus horsepower tractor uh, at the show at Commodity Classic. And so we uh, wanted to know what horsepower of tractor, the high horsepower tractor, do you figure is where your farm will top out? So we've asked, we've given you a range somewhere in the, hey, you know what, up to the 400, I'm still good. Or are you in the 500 to 600 range or aspiring to get there or see the need for that kind of horsepower range? Uh, are you excited that there's a seven, even an eight? 800 horsepower model? Or do you figure the sky's the limit and you could go more than that 800? It brings up an interesting discussion, of course, not just how how large can these engines get, but As implements get bigger, that's what you need. You need horsepower, you need hydraulic flow. You need to be able to cover a lot of acres in a day. It absolutely brings up the point about, you know, if you can cover more acres with one machine, that's only one operator that you need to get that done. These are incredibly interesting conversations to have. It also brings up, and as we heard about the new market, uh, who's the second, who's the third, who's the fourth buyer of some of these behemoth machines of seven, eight uh, hundred horsepower? Definitely some interesting thought there. would love to get yours. You can, of course, call the feedback line 855-776-6147. You can leave us a message there. Or you can, of course, find us across social media at Real Agriculture. Drop us a line. We'd love to hear your thoughts. All right, let's take a quick break, and I'll be back with more Real Ag on the weekend here on CKOM 650 and CJME 98
1: If you're involved in the agriculture industry, it's important to stay informed on all the latest issues affecting your business at realagriculture.com. We offer fast, reliable news, information, and insights to help you keep on top of all of the latest in Canadian agriculture. Visit realagriculture.com and sign up for our free daily newsletter covering everything from news, agronomy, animal agriculture, and much more. Visit realagriculture.com forward slash subscribe today.
4: There's a reason we call it the corn school videos on everything from planter setup to weed control, field trial results, and the latest yield strategies. The corn school on realagriculture.com has the information and advice you need to help you succeed brought to you by pride seeds and BASF corn school. Episodes are available at Cornschool.com. from realagriculture.com or as a podcast in your favorite podcast app. Check out the latest corn school episode today.
0: Welcome back to real Ag on the weekend here on 650 ckom 980 cjme i am your host for the day lindsey smith and let's hop to our next conversation this is sean haney in conversation with tyler shaw of agmarket.net
1: hey tyler how are you doing doing really good okay I was joking with you before we started. You're going to tell me that the wheat and canola market are going to lead this commodity complex to the upside, baby. Here we go. It's like a rocket ship because we have a bit of a uh, a space theme here. There is some rocket ship images around.
5: Is is that the case? Uh, We have a problem, Houston. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) That might be the good response. Uh, You know... Russia is just going to be your enemy if you're a wheat farmer. Russia's just uh, taken a they had massive crop the last two years. They're working on I think their fourth record crop. They really have no problems right now to speak of major problems with the winter wheat that's in the ground. Uh, they're selling on fire sale to help finance a war campaign and you know they, they gave the farmer a gift uh, two years ago uh you know not that that was necessarily a great thing that happened but uh that did send wheat prices screaming higher uh but they're just coming in and and i think uh last i saw they're down to 215 a, a ton uh in the export market fob out of the black sea which is severely under where we're at
1: and and with quality or talk about what what some of the products are that are
5: coming out of there um, it's twelve and a half percent protein, so it's it's lower quality wheat than what we're producing here. But you know, we had a massive uh, hard red spring ugh, hard red spring wheat crop, high quality out of North Dakota. And I know Canada dealt with some drought issues. Still, kind of looking at some drought issues that we got going on up there. Uh, but you know, when, when you have that big of a, a quality crop come out of North Dakota, South Dakota, and the United States, there just there isn't that huge demand for higher quality protein wheat uh, to really pull this thing much higher at the moment
1: if you're growing canola you're probably you know pairing in the rotation there with some some or sorry if you're if you're growing uh, wheat in the rotation you probably in some of the geographies we're talking about you probably have some canola in the rotation too what what sense do you make of the canola market
5: it's been a tough market to to really grasp you know i think last Last couple times I've talked to you, we've talked to you about the importance canola is going to play in this renewable diesel program. You know, we're starting to get some of those plants kicked off. It's starting to, you know, maybe we got the cart ahead of the horse in the in the analyst game. You know, expecting these these big uh, crush numbers coming out of these plants. The, the bottom line though again uh, huge canola crop in north dakota last year yeah. i mean it, it uh, look no further than the sunflower market i don't know how close attention you pay to that but i mean they can't hardly give sunflowers away right now and that's because farmers in north and south dakota grew three pound sunflowers with ease last year and just oversupplied the short-term market and have really just kind of wreaked havoc i think eventually these these renewable plants are going to pick steam up, they're going to start running, they're going to start operating better, and some of that demand will pick up. The other thing to to throw in there is uh, China is really kind of hurting that vegetable oil market. They're bringing vegetable oil over to qualify for those tax credits. It's got to be either used uh, vegetable oil, and so they're sending some palm oil over, throwing a french fry in it, claiming that it's been used. Maybe it has, maybe it hasn't, but they're flooding that market with that, quote, used vegetable oil, which has been tough on the soybean oil market.
1: Some are speculating that in Western Canada we're going to see about a 10% drop, maybe, on the canola acre. What's expected in North Dakota?
5: You know, I've been hearing about that 5 to 10%, just talking to some of the seed dealers in the, the area, Western North Dakota. One of the things I, I will throw out, one thing that might be a, a, a decent spot for spring wheat is the fact that, you know, in that eastern North Dakota area, you've got Green Bison, which is a soy crush facility in, in uh, Spiritwood, North Dakota. They've been struggling getting running and operating at full capacity. I uh, just talked to the North Dakota Soybean Council rep yesterday. He told me that they think they've pretty well got all the problems ironed out. They're going to be running pretty full bore here pretty soon. The new one that's going to open up in Castleton, they expect that one to kick off this summer. Should have all the kinks worked out of it by harvest time. So one of the things that we're seeing is a lot of farmers in eastern North dakota looking to switch out acres from canola and spring wheat and go to soybeans in that area because there's going to be a huge pull for soybeans that might help pull some acres out of that number and so instead of seeing you know that uh, 11 to 12 million acres of spring wheat in the u.s we might be able to pull up a million off of that just out of north dakota alone
1: in north dakota when you look at some of the penciling out the the the, the profit margins of each
5: of the crops it, how, how does soybeans fit in comparison to corn um, soybeans are, I mean, better than corn. We'll start off with that. Uh, you know, there is a small profit. Uh, you, can, you can still pencil out a profit with, with you know, $11 soybeans. So that's going to be helpful. Uh, corn does not look good. To, to, I mean, it's just hard to switch it anyway. But, you know, as Matt was kind of alluding to earlier, um, you know, the market doesn't owe a, a producer a profit. Um, and I know a lot of times we wish it does or wish it would. We hope it will. Uh, but just remember that sometimes, uh, you know, as, he, as I heard him mention, you know, you might not like selling it here, but how do you like selling it 50 cents lower? How do you like selling spring wheat a dollar lower?
1: There was a while, though, there where canola was kind of, even when the rest of the market was in the red, canola, you look on the screen, canola was, was in the green, right? Um, what's it going to take? You, you mentioned renewable diesel, but that's more of a, a little bit more of a long-term play. But what's it going to take for us to stabilize this canola number? Because we continue to hear from farmers in our audience, I don't know, it
5: doesn't pencil for me. Uh, Short term, like right now, you know, the, the, the trade focuses a lot of attention on the managed money position on corn and soybeans and wheat. Not a lot of people pay attention to the canola numbers. That's a record short by the funds in the canola market. Uh, I think it's like 150,000 net short contracts, uh, huge record short. Uh, Same story in corn. If we get something that spooks those fund managers into exiting their, their short positions... You would think they would, especially with this. I mean, when when the bulk of your crop is grown in North Dakota and Canada, and it's been prone to drought the last few years, that might get some of them to get spooked, exit those short positions. That could cause uh, you know a decent little short-term rally. Gives the producer an opportunity to get caught up on old crop sales. Also gives the producer an opportunity to catch up on new crop. The one thing I would uh, caution, same with uh, the corn market, is uh, there's still a lot of bushels out there need to be priced and uh, yeah yeah and uh, you know farmers are going to be itching to, to pull the trigger so farmers selling uh, hedge pressure is going to kind of probably i won't say stop a rally but temper temper rallies i, I wouldn't be looking for you know 700 hundred dollar canola on the board um, but if we could pick up 30 to 40 dollars a ton on that uh, gives a guy 20 21 cents a pound that'd probably be pretty good at some point we got a bin space issue do we not yes in western north dakota we've got uh we've got a lot of bins full right now i've got guys telling me they got bags they got to pick up i've got guys trying to figure out what to do with the bags uh if they're going to build more bins to take the crop out of the bag i really don't recommend that uh you know but uh yeah there there's a lot of crop we had a i mean the weather was awesome last year it was great uh for me personally we've got some cows we put up some hay but uh boy it it, it, it's created i I don't want to say a good problem to have but it's created a problem where we've got a lot of bushels and not necessarily the infrastructure to handle it all
1: i was hearing earlier from somebody from north dakota they think the moisture situation is pretty decent and we're expecting an early spring
5: in north dakota well right now i mean before i came down here on monday i was wearing a t-shirt putting hay out and then i drove an hour and a half to the airport in a blizzard the very next morning but (laughs) that's north dakota for you yeah welcome to north (laughs) dakota um yeah, the, right now it looks good. For most of the state, there's some pockets that are dry. But, I, I mean, you know, where I'm at, which is kind of western North Dakota, we're never more than two weeks away from a drought. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we could use some snow. We could dang sure use some, some rain this spring. But if the longer-term forecasts hold, yeah, it's going to be an early spring. Tyler, thanks a lot for joining us here today for our discussion.
1: Always enjoy it, and uh, enjoy the rest of the commodity classic. Thanks. Good to see you, Sean.
0: All right, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back with more Real Ag on the weekend here on CKOM 650 and CJME 980 right after this.
1: Get all the information you need to keep your pulse crop healthy and profitable with The Pulse School on realagriculture.com. The Pulse School is a free YouTube video series covering agronomy, research, and more across a host of different pulse crops. It's also available as an audio podcast wherever you download or stream your favorite podcast. Check us out on YouTube or visit realagriculture.com, the Pulse School, brought to you by BSF Canada.
2: The Canola School on realagriculture.com is your one-stop shop for everything a canola grower needs. Check out our free video series on YouTube for all the latest in canola agronomy, research, marketing, and more. Don't have time to watch? Download the podcast version of the Canola School on realagriculture.com or anywhere you download your podcasts. Stay on top of all things canola with the Canola School on realagriculture.com brought to you by BASF and Invigor Hybrid Canola. Whether you're seeding, harvesting, or anything in between, the Wheat School on realagriculture.com has you covered timely agronomic information from industry experts available online anytime. Give your wheat crop a good start and a great finish with The Wheat School on realagriculture.com brought to you by CNM Seeds, Syngenta Canada and the Alberta Wheat and Barley Commission.
0: Welcome back to Real Ag on the Weekend here on CKOM 650 and CJME 980. I am your host, Lindsay Smith, and this segment is brought to you by Excite Bio. Excite your crops with inputs from Excite Bio. Access nitrogen and phosphorus with Excite Bio's lineup of inoculants and ag biologicals. Since 2010, they've been helping farmers harness the power of the soil. Learn more at excitebio.ca. That's X I T E B I O. C A. All right, let's get to it now. It it of course is the dreaded root rot that no pea or lentil grower wants to have to deal with. It is a Phanamysis. Now that is the topic that we're going to dig into on this interview here that Kelvin Hepner did, uh, well on location at the Crop Connect Conference in Winnipeg just recently. It's really important that there be collaboration on this particular problem, um, and that means of course, across soil type zones, across perhaps even federal borders, perhaps across provincial borders. But collaboration is really going to get us somewhere, we hope, quicker on the aphanomyces and the larger, of course, root rot problem for our pulse crops. So let's listen then on the latest on the research into aphanomyces work here with Kelvin Hepner. This is from the Pulse School.
4: For Real Agriculture, I'm Kelvin Hepner at Crop Connect and we are uh, talking about root rots in uh, pulse crops and where things are headed on the research front. We're joined by Daryl Dimitrik, Executive Director with Manitoba Pulse and Soybean Growers. And Daryl, we have uh, recently seen announcement of the new Pulse Research Cluster under the new Sustainable Canadian Ag Partnership, the new five-year FedProv framework. Where are things at in terms of uh, advancing research in root rot? Of course, the is top
6: of mind for a lot of growers. Over the last few five-year programs, uh, as you mentioned, the latest one being SCap, root rot has more and more come to the center of those programs. Uh, it's a it's a significant uh, risk to pulse crop uh, production across the country, and we're certainly seeing it here uh, in Manitoba and on the prairies, most prominently uh, with Phanomycetes and and that pathogen's infection of pea roots. Um, and so there's a considerable effort being mounted in this current science cluster to uh, address uh both f- by figuring out its, um, its biology and by figuring out its genetics, and then thirdly by figuring out how its biology and genetics interact with the biology and genetics of the, the pea plant. Uh, so afanomyces is a focus, uh, but another focus uh, that uh, we're working on is Uh, a broader set of root rot pathogens, including Fusarium. So a lot of people, uh, they hear the word fusarium and think of fusarium head blight in wheat. In fact, the fusarium family of pathogens is very large, and they occupy uh, the soil and create disease problems for for, uh, the roots of beans, dry beans and peas. And so in addition to a lot of aphanomyces work, uh, we've got parallel work, work going on in a broader suite of pathogens, including aphanomyces in those projects we're connected in uh, with uh, federal and university labs uh, stretching from lethbridge uh, to guelph and uh, and including uh, work at brandon and Morden. and so that's a key for us we're part of a national effort uh, on root rot in fact uh, the three prairie provinces the pulse groups there have come together as a unified group to, uh, to address uh, root rot by co-investing in, in projects. And the science clusters is one area, but we're doing other things as well. It's, a, it's quite a serious disease that we, we actually don't have a lot of solutions for right now. So uh, we're working on the genetic front and the plant breeding front, but also on the agronomy front. Uh, we really don't know... Uh, how many years you need to have between pea crops in Manitoba to prevent uh, Phanomyces. It, we, we, we have an idea that it might be eight years, but we're, we're doing tests uh, with the Agronomist-in-Residence Program at the University of Manitoba to try and figure that out, and, and it's all linked into a, uh, a very uh, comprehensive focus on root rot. Okay. You are also doing
4: some work, of course, across the border in, in other areas with researchers at NDSU, for example. Is there some of
6: that cooperation happening on the root rot front as well? It, there will be, and uh, certainly at the scientific, scientific level, scientists collaborate all around the world. So knowledge on genetics especially uh, is shared, uh, but when we come to uh, putting those genetic knowledge to work actually on farms, we obviously share real estate with places like North Dakota and Minnesota. So our, we intend to forge relationships to the south of us, particularly with respect to dry beans and how root rot might affect dry beans. Um, we've got good a good collaboration west with our prairie cousins and, uh, and growing collaborations east with our our fellow uh, bean growers in Ontario, Uh, so now we're working uh, uh, to move south a bit and uh, together uh, well this is what it's going to take it's going to take some significant collaboration and, and some of the best scientific minds to figure this one out yeah and like you said uh, there's multiple steps to this chain that we don't have
4: answers for so there kind of needs to be that overview of somebody's uh, a, a scientist somewhere or, or somebody in your position maybe that decides how do we prioritize research and how does
6: uh, like where do, where do we head with yes. all these different pieces indeed a, a good example of that is that uh, the existing resistance to a is only partial resistance so we we don't foresee in the near future uh, strong resistance so in other words we're going to have to rely on on management uh agronomy and and a bit of luck uh, and so while the geneticists are working on on partial resistance and eventually full resistance uh other we have other folks working on on the agronomy part and the soil science part and the management of soil water. And then uh, we've got, you know, hopefully some people working on the luck as well.
4: <laughs> the luck. Yeah. <laughs> That's a tough one.
6: <laughs>
4: Anything else then on Root Rod and where this project is headed uh, in the next over the, it would be the next four years. I guess we're, we're almost till uh, the first full year of, of the ESCAP program already having gone behind us.
6: Yeah, we're, we're hopeful we're going to see results from these projects, uh, but it is a sort of behind-the-scenes kind of work for, for the time being, uh, and so we're focusing... Uh, at MPSG a lot on surveillance. So while while, uh, scientists are working in their labs, you'll see MPSG agronomists uh, around uh, fields in Manitoba taking samples of soil, taking samples of plants, and collaborating with uh, folks at Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada and the university just to track the extent uh, of root rot, particularly aphanomyces, and just to keep a handle on that and to take notes on what kind of agronomic practices might be beneficial uh, to managing this disease going forward, yeah. and farmers can of course participate in that in all of that surveillance as well. Absolutely, in fact, it, we, we it's required uh, for it to happen. So we, you know, every year we we seek out uh, growers that are curious about what root pathogens might be in their field. And uh, we, uh, we uh, use biosecurity measures and enter fields and take samples. Uh, and this, this is for uh, peas as well as soybeans, in fact. So um, we, we do a lot of that work in the summer and uh, look to collaborate with any interested producer.
0: Yes, indeed. As they say, it takes a village. And uh, perhaps when it comes to research, it takes the research village. And farmers, of course, are a big part of that. Okay. We are going to take another break here on Real Ag on the weekend. Uh, but we'll be back with our last segment of the day. We are going to talk the oat market. Yes, if you are finalizing those cropping plans, now is the time to put pencil to paper and figure out just which crop is going to give you the best profit margin. And will it be? Oats. Oh, that's the big question. All right. We will be back here with Real Egg on the weekend on CKOM 650 and CJME 980 right after this quick break. I'm Lindsay Smith from RealAgriculture.com. Join me Monday nights for The Agronomist, a one-hour live and interactive show broadcast across YouTube, Facebook, and X. Monday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern, I host expert agronomists from all over the country to give you answers to some of the toughest agronomic questions. Join us live or catch the replay Tuesday morning. That's The Agronomist with me, Lindsay Smith, Monday nights, live at 8 p.m. Eastern.
2: Hi, I'm Bernard Tobin, host of The Soybean School on realagriculture.com. Throughout the year, on The Soybean School, we'll bring you timely agronomic video content from planting to harvest, from the latest agronomic research to the latest in production technology. Check out our massive video library on YouTube, realagriculture.com, or download the audio podcast versions wherever you get your podcasts. The Soybean School is brought to you by BASF and Syngenta Canada.
0: Welcome back to Real Ag on the Weekend here on 650 CKOM and 980 CJME. I am your host, Lindsay Smith, and we're, well, we're already at our final segment of today's show. And as promised, we're going to start with a conversation on the oat market. Of course, the oat market is one that can, in certain years, get oversupplied pretty quickly. But it's also a market that has evolved in the last few years. Oats are, yes, still a feed crop, but... Every year, they're more and more of a food crop, a food ingredient. And certainly we're seeing that reflected in some of the market dynamics, some of the demands on production as well. And so for this conversation, we go to Lauren Bounty in conversation with Calvin Hepner at Crop Connect that happened just a few weeks ago in Winnipeg to talk about the dynamics of the oat market and what's ahead for 2024.
4: For Real Agriculture, I'm Kelvin Hepner at Crop Connect in Winnipeg and pleased to be joined once again by Lorne Boundy of Patterson and Lorne talking about oat markets. It's time for our annual oat market update, I guess. For sure. uh, things penciling out fairly well for oats relative to some other crops heading into the 2024 growing season? Yep, new crop oats are penciling out pretty well.
7: Went for the first time in history, when you look at some budgets, they're near the top rather than the bottom. And return-wise, they should still present a fairly good premium over wheat and other cereals going into new crop to try and encourage some acreage recovery after last year's collapse. Okay.
4: Yeah, last year's collapse, it's Been kind of a boom or bust cycle the last couple years in in oats, right?
7: Yeah, we had we connected with way too many acres based on those seven, eight dollar bids that were out there, as well as a crop to back it up. We have basically got two and a half, one and a half crops in one year, and it's really weighed on the market. The market did its job; acres dropped off last year, maybe a little too far, so we need to see recovery back towards some more historical. Levels or we're going to have an uncomfortable 24 oat situation, and it's a global oat situation. You look around the globe, and most other countries and major oat producers need to see an oat acreage recovery this
4: year. Okay, so are we in for another boom part of the cycle then, or is it it's showing? Are like are you confident that the market can maybe stabilize and, and find a, a steady state?
7: I think we're going to be in a more stable scenario this year. Unless there's some desperation that occurs right before seeding, but all signs point to more acres going in. There's still fairly adequate on-farm supplies, last year's crop was phenomenal quality, and end use is down a fair bit, and especially in the feed sector. $7 oats, $8 oats was the worst thing that ever happened to the feed industry as far as just demand destruction, okay. and a lot of that demand hasn't come back.
4: Will it come back, or or has, have they adopted other ingredients at that point? If they've been able to use something else, they've chosen
7: something else, and they're not going back to that oat. Okay. Especially if you're in a pelletized ration, if you didn't need that out in its raw form, use corn or wheat or anything else that's more reliable and cheaper.
4: There's a lot of concern in Western Canada about how dry things are heading into the 24-year. Is, uh, is the oat growing region affected by that, or is that more to the west, or at least on the map, it probably more outside of the outgrowing region, right?
7: Yeah, when you look at Western Canada, lo and behold, the Palliser Triangle looks dry. Yeah. And there's a pocket up in the piece as well, but when you generally look across the outgrowing region, it looks okay. We get one or two spring rains, and we'll be off to the races, I think. Okay.
4: On the demand side, uh, a few years ago there was a ton of interest in human food consumption uh, out demand have, and there was investment in new processing plants and facilities along those lines in that supply chain. Where is that demand at right now and coming to the market?
7: Uh, Food demands increasing basically about one percent year over year for human consumption. Feed demand's pretty stagnant. We've seen new milling capacity coming online in Western Canada and around the globe for more human consumption. Oat milk has been a boom for the industry as far as increased consumption. The growth there is phenomenal. So it's oats are an ingredient. It's a food ingredient. It's not a commodity anymore, even though it still kind of behaves like one in the marketplace. Really you gotta look at it as an ingredient and you're growing something to meet a specification that will ultimately end up on someone's dining room table.
4: So are we still seeing more of a trend towards more of that, I don't know if IP is the right word, but more of that connected, that, that contract where with conditions attached to it and direct relationship with the grower? Yeah I definitely see that we're having
7: more contracted production around specific specifications. It might not be true IP. contracted production, but at least the grain contracts are starting to dictate hey, you got to meet these specs to fill this contract.
4: And glyphosate free would be one of those?
7: Yeah, basically. There is still some market for oats that have been sprayed with glyphosate as a pre harvest aid, but those are small and few in between, and if a guy's doing it he's
4: really limiting what he can where he can market those oats to okay you mentioned new capacity coming on stream that includes a new facility here in, in winnipeg is is that patterson owned plant already up and running
7: yeah uh o foods is up and running and we're looking forward to what we can do in the oat market here in manitoba and across western canada as we ramp up production at that plant
0: All right, we're going to leave it there for now. A few other things though, I wanted to cover before we wrap up the show here on this March 2nd. I am so excited that it's March. I don't know about you. uh, I mean, I grew up on the prairies. I know March can still be a very wintry month, but for whatever reason, just flipping the calendar from February to March feels like spring is just so close. I can almost smell it. And it certainly does mean that that begins our seeding season eventually. We'll get there soon, I promise. I, I know that we've certainly had some nasty weather over uh, the course of the week. Um, this week I did speak with a couple farmers, including those in Saskatchewan, about how the weather has been and how they're gearing up and getting ready for the seeding season. A lot of things still to decide. Um, I always find it interesting that, you know, as much as we talk about markets like the oat market, like the canola market, um, there, there still has to be a pretty big swing in prices to shift a lot of those acres from one to another uh, this late in the game. And for good reason, right? There's seed to purchase or clean, uh, there's logistics to consider, and there's always rotation. And as we think about a phantom ICs and the threat there, rotation can be absolutely paramount when it comes to some of these decisions. So I know that maybe not a ton will change in the next couple weeks, but certainly it is time to make those final decisions decisions as we make all the prep for the seeding season Um, always an exciting time it is just uh it's It's easy to be optimistic uh, when things are looking good. It's a little tougher for those of you who are really struggling uh, with no snow cover or not enough snow. So I really do hope that in the next few weeks we're going to see some of that added moisture that we've been hearing at least from some of our weather forecasters that may be in the offing for Saskatchewan and for the western prairies as well. So so let's keep our fingers crossed and hope for uh, some much needed moisture uh, for the seeding season. Now, a few things that did happen this week and I I invite you all to head on over to realagriculture.com. We've got some uh, fantastic discussions there on the fertilizer market as well. Uh, We've got Sean Haney's coverage from the Canadian Federation of Agriculture uh, AGM this week, uh, talking with Steve Verhul, the former trade negotiator for Canada. Really interesting discussion there. And of course, so much more over at realagriculture.com. We also have a YouTube channel. Would love for you to check it out. Subscribe, uh, hit like. That is also where on Monday, Monday nights I host the agronomists it's a live Q&A format so head on over to YouTube that's where it goes live Monday nights Jeff Shano talking about soil health assessments let's leave it there thank you for joining me on this edition of Real Ag on the weekend I hope to talk to you again soon here on CKOM 650 and CJME 980 cheers everybody